You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Friends, please hit that like button. Leave us a comment down below on the affordability crisis, the challenge we face in our city today, and specifically the missing middle. This is a talking point we see in the news all the time. And I thought, why not bring on a developer who has a specific concern for addressing the missing middle crisis that we face today in our city? My guest today is named James Burton. He's a founding partner at Percy Ellis, an all-around nice guy, and is available for you guys. If you have any questions, feel free to send them a message. They're here on a mission to explain what is the missing middle and how developers, the government at large, and our communities can work together to deal with the unaffordability that our city has to offer. I know you guys are going to learn a ton. I sure did. Enjoy the show. Hi, James. Thanks for joining us on the show. How you doing? I'm good, Brad. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I can't think of a better developer to come on the show to talk to us about this idea of the missing middle. And we'll, we'll go that way because for anyone who's never heard of this, I think people recognize that there's something going on as far as what's available, what units are available. And a lot of people will point fingers at developers, right? But the developers are only one side of the coin. And I think you guys, your organization, Percy Ellis, has a very unique perspective on it. That's why I'm so excited for today. So to kind of lead us into this, to kind of set the tone, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Tell us how you've kind of, you've gotten to where you are today. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Brad, for the compliments there. Appreciate all that. Uh, so um, I, I started by uh, swinging a hammer. Um, that was my beginning. I, I'm, my background's engineering. So um, I, I really didn't understand the whole um concepts behind financial the financials behind development when i got into the business i just sort of knew um that it seemed to to be a good idea to find a house that looked very uh terrible and then fix it up and it just sounded fun and i had a few ideas on how to do it so started with one house and in the 2008 financial crisis i was trying to sell that house and we were losing monthly, uh, losing money monthly because it wasn't rented. It was like a for sale home. And that's when the light bulb went off about getting into rental instead of home building. And that was it. It was one kind of scare. And from then on, everything I did was um, with the idea of having rental income such that in a worst case scenario where there was another issue in the market, uh, you'd be able to actually survive it, you know, just, just cruise through until things picked up. And that's kind of, that was like the original underlying um, thing that, that got us going, Percy Ellis, was um, find uh, buildings that needed work and fix them up and um, into nice places to live and have people live in them. And then, you know, it turned out often that we did a job that was good enough to create a profit, you know? And, and originally we didn't know if that would be the case or not. And it turned out to be the case. And so um, really it was a very slow progression for me and for Percy Ellis. I really did start just, I learned plumbing, electrical, roofing, tiling. Uh, I went to Home Depot classes 
and learned like from those like classes in Home Depot how to do the trades. Bought all my own tools. They're in my in-law's basement now and and uh, you know collecting dust. But um, for years it was me on the tools. Um, and Emery joined me eventually. My business partner, fifty fifty, Emery Daniels, and he was the same way. And so we were our best asset on site, swinging the hammer, getting everything done. Um, but we then you know hired contractors. Um, and sort of just built up the business. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was walking by pieces of land that were getting a little bit bigger each time and going, Hmm, maybe we could do that. Maybe we could do that. And it was, it just kind of grew to where we are today, which is two offices and, and, uh, 15 or so employees. So, yeah. So now are you guys today, do you find most of your portfolio is simply in the rental space? Like you're bringing these to market to be rental specific, or are you in the condominium development side as well? Only rental. Yeah, we've, we've never built a, a condominium and we actually don't really have any intent on doing that either. We, we kind of have a little bit of a, an idea that we should stick to what we know and yeah. just what we know best. Okay, so what I'm going to leave this with you. What makes what you do different, your organization? And I know a few of the things, but I want you to really shed some light on those differences for our audience. So the difference about how we approach things it's evolved big time over the last 10 years um but it's really solidified itself in the last year and two years and it, it was really it came about to a pretty simple fundamental realization that the priority in our process is is has been flipped it is the tenant the tenant and anybody who is interacting with the building the immediate neighbors, the adjacent neighbors across the street in the neighborhood, the communities that operate in that neighborhood, the organizations, and th those are the people that matter. So our day-to-day decision-making, and I, I, I repeat this all the time in the office, every decision we make has to be with them in, in mind. Like if we're stuck on a decision, how is this going to affect the tenant? Is it going to affect their rent? Is it going to affect their ability to live in the space? Is it going to affect the building interacting with the community? Is it going to affect passerbys on the street? Is there any way this can contribute positively to these people's lives versus negatively? Because, and I say this as well in the office all the time, to us, to our stakeholders, this building's really just a number on a screen. It's a number of units or it's a value or it's a cost or it's, uh, you know, if we're lucky, it's like some kind of a profit. But to the people that live there and to the people that live around it, it's, it's like it's every day affecting their life, their happiness, their well-being, potentially. Um, do they look at it and are they proud? Do they look at it and go, Ugh, like this could matter forever, right? And so we are trying to 100% make sure they are our priority, their lives, their futures, the building, as opposed to what has normally been the priority, which is everyone in behind the scenes, people contributing money. Um, and, and there's like the banks, the investors, the, there's a lot. So, but, and, and all this to be said, the, the, what we believe is that by focusing on these people, we do the best job and everything else really does follow along. Yeah. You're, you've got the business side of me just being like, uh, right. Cause this is very much a human. There's a human side that you guys are highlighting and putting as a priority, but then there's this conflicting side in the development side that in the development world that would say like, who cares? 
right? Like yeah. who cares? So, so to kind of explain this to people, I would love now to dive into the missing middle. Like what is the problem? What's the big deal with how we're doing things today? Could you, from your experience and what your understanding is, could you explain to us what is this missing middle? What is the crisis that we're facing in the city? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a huge question, but it's, but it's a, it's a really important one. And, um, so to me, the missing middle is any, it's, it's a built form and it's a location. It's sort of the two, three, four unit, 10 unit, even mid-rise buildings, even a hundred unit mid-rise can be missing middle if it's placed somewhere where currently it's not going right now, like where there aren't any in, in, in current existence. Like what the missing middle is, is a recognition that there's all these areas in Toronto that don't have any density at all and none coming and it's and it's very protected by um, all the people who can protect these neighborhoods and the stability of these neighborhoods and in, in if there's books there's a few books toronto based like there's one house divided um and, and another one um planning toronto that really go into all this really intricate detail on how this came about from the early 1900s until now but a lot of it's misunderstood planning policies. And uh, then like the, the political side of things can come in and, and affect the planning side of things. And the result isn't always what those initial planners who are the professionals in this, in this game or in this business um, initially intended. So we have an overprotectionism of certain big areas in Toronto and uh, there's a huge opportunity in those areas to build this missing middle housing. And, and it's, it's any kind of apartment housing, even condominium housing that is not a single family home, but is something greater than that. And um, in, in some instances is sort of frowned upon, like uh, even if we're on a, a big, a busier street, not one of the main commercial streets, but a street that you would think could sort of easily um, have a four or even a five story building but the planning policies don't permit it. They don't allow it. So it's, it's all these areas that are, are the missing middle, even more so than the building types themselves. Yeah. So, so then what does, in order to address this, like, I think we're, we're also talking a lot about what defines the missing middle, but who's impacted by that? Like, why, why do we need missing middle housing? We need missing middle housing because we need, new housing everywhere you know it, it can't be concentrated only downtown or concentrated only where um the um public transit is it really needs to go everywhere in the yeah. city right now it's actually there's a depopulation in the neighborhoods a lot because there will actually be like uh, more likely to turn two lots into one than it is to turn one lot into two like no one ever fights single family homes, no matter how big they are, no matter how, and, and also just the demographics and like the 20th, 21st century families are getting smaller. So houses are getting bigger, families are getting smaller, population in neighborhoods is going down. This is a problem. This is a problem for local businesses, for shops, for those lively um, little commercial zones in and around the city that are having a hard time, you know, it's not easy. So the depopulation is a real problem and the missing middle aims to kind of stabilize and grow population everywhere. And, yeah. and, and for, affordability is the other thing that 
why missing middle is, is required. Affordable housing has to go everywhere. It, again, it can't be concentrated here and here only, or here or some here. It needs to be a little bit everywhere in the city, downtown, the periphery of downtown, all spread all around through Ontario. You know, because it can't just be outside of the city or or in the downtown. It has to be everywhere, or there's not enough. There just isn't enough otherwise. Yeah, and that was kind of what I was looking for too, is the affordability side, right? Like when we hear from Treb, it's it's a missing middle is a legitimate issue in the real estate boards too. And it all stems down, it all trickles down into this affordability or lack of affordability. So maybe you can share with us the side that we don't see, that developer side, like what challenges now, given that we want to address this crisis, what challenges do you face as a developer in getting affordable rentals to market that people actually need? There's a lot, there's many, um, but uh, the, I think the biggest challenge is the um, change, people being afraid of change and no one wanting to lead change and uh, condone change like in a big way. So we're fighting change all the time. Um, the missing middle's biggest enemy is this idea of change is scary. And, and, it, and it is for everybody, you know, like anyone who's, who's um, seen it can be done very wrong right like like a developer can go in to a neighborhood be completely insensitive to the character of that neighborhood and actually be sort of like a negative impact right that and that's what everyone fears and you know we could have been that in the past go years back when we just didn't have a sense of everything we weren't there yet we, we were focused on us 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 and you know go 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 we weren't thinking about the details and the nuances so i think what we're trying to do to correct this and to um, is just take the fear of change out of the equation a bit. Going, what we're doing now is going to the neighborhoods where we've purchased land or intend to purchase land, talk to the neighbors before we have our plans, really, you know, and just saying, what kind of issues do you guys face here? What kind of things are you worried about? And collect this information, right? And like try to really learn why it is that people are upset about certain developments or about, or, or about change. And then genuinely with all of our brain power here, we try to actually address these concerns. And, and we can, we've been able to do that very well by just taking this approach, by just learning what people are really afraid of or, and trying to fix it. And, and I've told everybody in, in the office here, you can do, anything if all of our resources to solve our neighbors issues whatever it takes like it, it has to be possible right and so by taking this approach the guard has been going down on the people around and then we can take and start to look at like building a building there you know and that's what actually combats affordability is getting these buildings actually built you know and not fighting over them for years and years and years, you know, and so, and, and we figure if we can win over the community and the neighborhood, then who's, who's to, who's to stop it, you know, like right. why stop a building if the community and the neighborhood aren't, aren't against it, you know, and so that's our goal. And it's not always possible, but we're trying to leave nobody behind, you know, like right. win everybody over and uh, then we can combat the issue. I love, I love the approach of engaging the community that you have. And 
And my perception is, is there's not many developers doing that. I, I wonder if I were to ask the question, do, do you find this is a common practice or is this, you're kind of blazing trails, I guess, in that arena? I think to some degree, I think there are some, definitely this is becoming like, in my view, everyone's got to do this, you know, yeah. like we all have to do this to be successful in, term, in terms of bringing the necessary quantity of rental and affordable housing. And those are two different things to some degree. Um, but everyone has to do this type of thinking uh, in order for the problem to get solved. But yeah, I think we're blazing trails a little bit in terms of how genuine our concerns are and yeah. how, you know, what happened to me where this really came to me was I kind of one day, once again, into a quarrel with a neighbor at a project. And I just kind of thought like, what is the point of being in a fight with the direct person? Like if we can't satisfy that person, it just seems weird. You know, we we're in there trying to combat a problem in the city by bringing rental to more neighborhoods, by bringing some affordable housing to more neighborhoods. But if we're pissing off the person right next door, then aren't we also causing a pretty big problem and bringing negativity and, and, a, and a lack of happiness into a life? So why, why like make some people happy, but equally make these people upset then we're not really doing something great here. So the, I just kind of went, you know what? We have to make everybody satisfied. We can't, we can no longer help some and hurt some. It, it has to be overwhelmingly the majority that everybody involved has to be like going up in, in, in happiness and welfare. And so, yeah. <laughs> You're definitely right. You're onto something, okay? <laughs> I love we it. All, Can you give us a couple examples? Like, where are some scenarios where you've walked in, you've talked to the neighbors, you figure out what the community needs, and you're like, okay, yeah, we can make this work. We can make money for our investors. We can have the not in my backyard folks satisfied with us moving in. Yeah. Give me a couple wins that you've seen there. For sure. Okay. And they're not they're not they're not easy, and they're not black and white. But um, the so there's a project um, in Leslieville, uh, 17 Roads Avenue. It's a church that we purchased, and it's like interesting, tucked into a residential side street, not on a main road at all. And um, the first win there is just that we're not tearing it down, and it's not historical. So the, the previous owner had a plan to tear it down and build uh, six or eight sort of townhome type things in there, and the community was not too pleased because they got used to the church being there. It's kind of lovely. You know, it's yeah. quite beautiful. Um, even I'm sure the people that were going there over the years were lovely people. I, I, I know uh, everything about it was nice. So the first thing was we're going to keep the church. And that just in and of itself was a win environmentally um, for a lack of change. There's a whole bunch of reasons. But we haven't solidified our plan. So we went to the, to the street and we talked to everybody on the street. Um, and they, they're still nervous, you know, like about parking and stuff like parking's a big challenge for us. You know, it's like, there's never enough. And, uh, the city's sort of like, you can get around the city without it. So a lot of the people that rent don't have cars, but this is like a difficult thing to convey to a community that already sort of struggles with parking issues. Um, a yeah. lot of these older homes in these neighborhoods are still doing like the two car thing 
And so they might have one parking space here, one on the street. So that's one that, that we don't have a 100% solution for. We, but we could go into that more if you want. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, no, it's I okay. I, I know there's going to be tensions. That's, that's what's so fascinating yeah. about trying to find yeah. the win-win scenarios. Yeah, so to, to kind of get back to your question, um, the, the uh, concerns are what are you guys going to do? And the, it's, what we've been able to do is just listen to them and, and get the conversation going, you know, and just sort of, we have, um, we have a, a plan to put a daycare in this church, right? And so we're, it's sort of, the reason I'm having a hard time answering this question is because in this particular instance, um, we think that putting the daycare in is a good thing for the community but we don't want to always be just making that decision on behalf of the community. We want to be listening to them and then like taking their feedback and sort of implementing it. Right now, this, this, uh, this listening process, it's not going to result in the necessarily change to how big the building is or, or how the building is, is, is in size, but it could, it could lead to smaller changes. You know, and um, we're, we're where, where we can listen directly to a neighbor and actually just do exactly what they want, we'll do it. Okay, I have a great example. Another project just around the corner. Um, she's nervous that the, when she looks at her backyard, her view will be sort of ruined or something. So we immediately started thinking, what can we do? Okay, so I thought, let's on that side of the building, which doesn't plan to have windows for privacy reasons, Let's kind of do like a, a one or two foot cut and put um, soil and grow vines all up the side of that building. So yes, she's still gonna have to see a building, but at least we can make it green. And there's two terraces as well that won't face the backyard, they'll face this way. And I also thought, why don't we put trees, like small trees, but significant trees on those two terraces so that she's also looking at trees. And immediately able to commit to that, right? And, and so prior to this, this was gonna be a brick wall. And now it could be a brick wall with a little ledge with some greenery and trees. Okay, this isn't like uh, mind blowing, but we're willing to immediately implement things like that that could contribute toward easing the nerves of, of neighbors. Um, okay, so, so you guys are doing a great job, keep it up. Now let's talk about those outside of the developer space. Like if the developer, hopefully we can get more minds like that that are actually trying to improve the communities, but outside factors are a big, a big part here. You know, any whether and most of them I would assume would be government or any kind of um, platforms where you would need approvals done, right? Zoning and all these changes. And so what are some things that you can see could happen in order to progress and encourage developers to move towards those that are looking to genuinely help the missing middle? Well, I'd certainly encourage them to go and speak to the community. And, and I believe that if you can win over the community, then there's the, you've just taken out so many of the hurdles because the city planning staff, the city um, councilors, they're protecting for good reason, the neighborhood, their constituents, the people there. And, and so when the people don't want something, it is their role to protect those, those people. So by doing, by going into the community and listening and trying to um, 
bring upon change that is accepted by that community, then you're taking so much of, of these perceived obstacles out of the way. And what can the city do? They can recognize that, you know, you can't win everyone over. And so, you know, they need to balance that. They can't like, there, there was a project um, on Gerard Street that was denied Committee of Adjustment recently. And the planner, uh, 2165 Gerard Street, I, I believe was the address. Great project. It, it was gonna bring 10 rental apartments to a current single family home lot. They weren't even asking for variances just to divide the lot into two. And, and, and it was such a shame, such a shame that it, it was denied. Um, you know, 10 new families could have lived, lived there. But um, what he said was classic in the article in the Globe. Um, there were fewer opposition, uh, fewer people there in opposition than would have been able to be housed in this development. I think I actually saw that article. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. that's hard to. That's a tough one to see, you know, because that's tough. That's the type of uh, project that can support affordable housing in the city, you know, and uh, so. What, what the city needs to do is recognize that the developer can't win over everybody. There's going to be some opposition. Um, but if the process has been constructive, the process has been open, that they're going to have to kind of like make some tough decisions in the, in the, in, in the spirit of affordable housing. You know, like, you know, we got to make decisions based upon bringing housing to the city more than protect this notion of protecting these stable neighborhoods. There's no problem. The high park, uh, the, you know, uh, Forest Hill, the beautiful million dollar detached homes right next to missing middle housing from long ago. It does not have the negative impact that I think, you know, might be perceived out there. It just simply isn't the case. It's, it's misinformation to think otherwise. So we need to keep affordable housing top of mind and allow that to guide the decisions and I do use affordable housing and rental kind of interchangeably because there is some element of interchangeable affordability to all forms of rental housing absolutely yeah and affordability is often skewed to mean you can get buy a property but really housing itself is more than just ownership it's having a place to live um, yeah. so I agree with you there so you're doing all of these things at Percy Alice. You guys are doing some great stuff. I think people can see now why I wanted to ask you specifically about the missing middle. And this has been fantastic. If I were to ask you, why are you doing all this stuff, man? Like, what is what is the legacy you guys are looking to leave when you, when it's all done? Like, what why be so community centered? What what is it that gets you up in the morning and says, okay, we're we're doing this. We're asking what the community needs. You know, it's like, uh, why do you do anything in life, really? Why? Uh, you try to be happy, you know? And uh, what brings happiness? Who knows? Does anybody really 100%? I mean, for, for me, it's trying to find, you know, if we're not helping people, then I don't know sometimes what we're doing. You know, I really don't. I, I don't. I think that um, pursuit of certain financial um, goals is, is it doesn't really, it's sort of like uh, you're chasing a ghost, you know, uh, there's no, there's no fulfillment in, in a number on a screen to me, it, it, there really isn't, but to have a team that's inspired to make a positive change like this, the people in this office, they are worth it. They're worth getting up in the morning for the tenants that will ultimately, hopefully be able to be living happy lives in our buildings that that's worth it to me. 
and I do have big goals. Like I really believe that we as a landlord and a property manager um, can contribute to the well-being and happiness of our tenants. And so the legacy that I would love to leave behind, hopefully many, many a year from now, but I really want to believe that we'll be able to be a developer and property manager that is more than just a landlord. Like I want to connect our tenants to our communities. I want to connect them to um, services in the communities. I want to make absolutely certain our tenants know they're as much a part of the community as homeowners are. And if there's any homeowners associations that our tenants are com completely welcomed into those communities and know that they can become like a staple part of the community just as much as any homeowner. Like we're, we're every building we launch, we are having, and, and we're just starting this, but a mixer between the uh, residents and the local uh, homeowners and things, because we, we don't want any of this, oh, who lives in that building or what's going on in that building? I, I didn't, you know, like, come on in, come see the amenities, see some units, meet the people. We're all just human beings, you know? And, and so our legacy is gonna be to try to just bring a little bit of happiness and well-being, truly beyond the role of a landlord to our tenants long into the future. We've got a long road ahead of us. We're, we're not even close to getting there, but we're trying and uh, we're, we're surveying our tenants to see if we're doing a good job. And, and we just got some results back this past week. And, you know, apparently we're getting there. We're starting in the right direction. So we're very excited about that. Beautiful. James, thanks so much for being on the show. I, you have to tell us where our audience can find out more about what you guys are doing. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're about to launch uh, a new updated website, uh, you know, at uh, percyellis.com. So you can check out there and uh, our Instagram, we have uh, Katie and Tanya and Fern from our team that are always trying to like post, you know, helpful, useful things on there. So check out our Instagram. Um, and uh, you know, those would be the best two places, Brad. Yeah, beautiful. And for any of you guys who are maybe listening to the show, feel free in the comments below to send a shout out to James. You guys can see why I had him on the show. This is the kind of stuff we need to have. These are kind of conversations that developers we need in our city. So hit that like button, support this particular show by sharing it on your Instagram. You can tag, you can tag uh, Percy Ellis. You can tag us at Watson Estates. And yeah, thanks again so much. And we really appreciate you taking the time to, to tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Awesome, Brad. Listen, thanks so much for having me on the show. I, I'm so happy you you wanted us here and you like what we have to say. Like, it, it, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to get it just a little bit out there about what we're hoping to do. So just listen, thanks so much. Really appreciate it.